All right. Aren't they the best? I love their honesty. We can't hear you. Of course, that's not only kids sometimes. I've heard people that are not kids say, we can't hear you. Um, So I'll try to do my best to be clear today. Hey, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word or click on your copy of God's Word, whichever it may be. Um, You may have it on your device. To the letter, which is called 2 Corinthians, and to chapter 10 of that letter, if you do not have a copy of God's Word. You can pull out one of the Bibles in front of you. We're going to be on page 1028 today. Uh, That's where it is in that pew Bible. By the way, if you do not have a Bible that is uh, very readable for you, we want to provide that to you. It's our joy to put a Bible in people's hands and ultimately to have it get it go into their heart. Um, But that's our gift to you. We don't want to just put Bibles and hymnals out there for decorations. They're there for yours to take. If you need one, We use the CSB. It's what I'm going to be preaching from today, the Christian Standard Bible. We use it because we use it in our small groups, but we also, because we believe it is very faithful to the translation, and it is very uh, readable and very accurate. So I'm going to invite you to turn there. Now, today we're going to be talking about being awakened and alert. How many of you have some kind of alarm clock at home to wake up? All right. Um... How many of you, that alarm clock clock is some kind of beeping device or ringing device? Raise your hand. All right. Now, how many of you got soul and you got one that's going to play music? It's going to automatically turn on some jams whenever you like, because you want to wake up with a groove, right? I had one of those Sony uh, Cube alarm clocks in my high school days uh, sitting on the top of my waterbed because I'm a child of the 80s, all right? I had a waterbed. It's, it's weird, I know. But I had one. And uh, I, I remember when KZ 103.5 would come on the air and it would be waking you up to the smooth jams of today's hits and yesterday's favorites. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was what I listened to in my high school days. And it was, it was an alert. Um, unfortunately, the music thing doesn't seem to wake me up as much. Now I have to have like the, the Submariner radioactive alarm going off like, bang, bang, bang. You know, it's like that thing. It's like, oh. The world, house is burning down. No, no, it's just the morning. Uh, that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's, that mo- it's that notice that it's time to drink more coffee. And I'm, I'm okay with that because I love my coffee. But it's interesting that when we go throughout our days, we probably hear all kinds of messages, right? All kinds of things. You may hear songs that you know. On the radio, maybe you, you know them, or at least you say you know them. I, I like to joke and laugh. Uh, I, I like to listen to oldies-type music. Uh, as you've heard, my, my Doobie Brothers up here album. Um, my, uh, my in-laws are here today. I'm thankful for them. That We were driving around town, and they were noticing that on my little playlist was the Beatles. And then I went from the Beatles to, to CCR. And if you don't know who CCR is, uh, we'll talk later. But... Um, I kind of like to laugh because I love CCR, and I listen to them a lot. Um, I love Jesus more, okay? I'm going to get there, right? But I laugh because I can sing almost every word to down on the corner when it comes to the very first verse and the chorus, but no one I have ever heard can ever sing the second verse. They're like, I don't know. They're just like, and it's shaking your head. It's one of those things. It's a weird voice. It's a weird verse. And no one ever remembers it, it seems. So they have to go back to the lyrics thing. But I I, I digress. 
You may have all kinds of songs, and some of them you know by heart, but have you noticed that some songs you're like, oh, I know that song, but you really don't know the song? Like you know the tune, but the words, and then sometimes you'll be listening to it really hard, and all of a sudden it'll be something like, wow, I didn't know it said that. And you're like, or, or you know, you're riding with your, you know, someone else that's, you know, you would be embarrassed if they heard the lyrics and you didn't, because you didn't know them before, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you just turn it down. Guilty, it's happened before. I didn't know that was in there. But that's a part of the messages we get. And then between all the different news sites, between all the different social media, all these different things, I, I wonder how much of our life is muddled with various messages. And if that can happen in the church, where we are given something super clear from the Scripture, I wonder how muddled the message is beyond our walls. But today we're going to look at what goes on within our walls. Are we clear about what, are we clearly hearing what God has for us to know? Is it awake, making us awakened and open our eyes to see who He is, what He has done, and what He has said, and how we are supposed to live for Him? And then, as we receive that message, are we also transmitters of that in our life, clearly? And I say that because where we're at in the book of 2 Corinthians, this letter that Paul, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church at Corinth, we're in a portion of the letter where he's dealing with some muddiness. Some places where the message is not quite clear. It's not coming in with high fidelity where every little nuance is seen and heard. And because of this muddled moment, well, not only is there different distractions going on with different messages, there's also delineating from which way to go. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read a rough part of 2 Corinthians. And hopefully, the message won't get lost. Hopefully, it'll come through with clarity. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to the church at Corinth, he pins these words. Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That sounds nice. I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when I am absent. Paul, you're getting kind of sarcastic here. What's going on? I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are behaving according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Oh, he's talking about war. Paul's getting salty. All right, here we go. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your, disobe once your obedience is complete. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, let him remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful. 
but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this. What we are in our letters, we, when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. But in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not boasting beyond measure about other people's labors. On the contrary, we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you with boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we've seen a very um, potent and uh, highly lofty kind of argument here. And some of it, we'll be honest, when it goes back and forth to these words, it can seem very odd because we don't usually talk like this but nevertheless this is your word and so if anything that is muddied about our life that would prevent us from hearing from you god i pray that you would take it down now whatever may clog our ears god you would clean it whatever would harden our heart god you would soften it and lord today May we see that just as this is a part of your word, just as much as John 3.16, it has relevance and authority in our life. And we want to clearly hear it, and we want to clearly communicate it. In the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So uh, part of our goal in helping people to know who God is and, and what he has said and what he has done is helping them understand his word. This is God's gift to us. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who gave us the Bible. But we recognize that it is an act of his grace, an act of his kindness, that we can know him through his word. This is his, his gift and joy to us. And so when we open it, we want to be able to understand and help others understand what it says, what it means, how it applies, and then have us give us the knowledge that the Bible is, is not just like any other book. It is God's word, and it will call us to a decision. And so today we see this, this letter out of two letters preserved for us in the Scripture, written by the Apostle Paul, as he is the human author, if you will, the supernatural author that's inspiring and making it thus inerrant and infallible is God himself. But he is writing to the church at Corinth, that's the audience, around A.D. 56, in a series of corresponding back and forth letters, he is helping address and answer some concerns and questions they have. But he is also addressing some of the conflict that he has heard. Paul, if you read Acts chapter 18, had spent anywhere from 18 to 20 months there in Corinth ministering to this church, helping to found it, helping to raise up leaders, helping to lead it, helping them to know the gospel, which is what 
builds the church. But in the meantime, after this, while he's on his third missionary journey and he's spending his three years in Ephesus, all this news comes back about the different messages and the different distractions and the divisions and, and, and the lack of continuity that's going on. And it, it wasn't they were they were evil intentioned. It just all these different things kept pushing them in different directions. So Paul begins writing to them and in First Corinthians he addresses those issues. In the second Corinthians, he is letting it be known that he's seen a lot of reconciliation, a lot of good things. He is not saying that nothing good has happened. But he is also aware that it's not complete. It's not finished. And even if they got to a place where they were super mature, there could still be delineation. There could still be messages that get mingled in that would push people away from what they are meant to accomplish, that they are entrusted with God's gift of reconciliation and His message of reconciliation. In other words, what God did for them was not meant to stop with them. It was meant to continue going to others. Now, I know that that's not a modern-day problem, is it? That, you know, we all get to a point where we reach maturity and we never have problems anymore, right? We never get to a problem or a day where there are different messages and sometimes we're wondering, well, how credible is that? Or, or how uh, central to the Scripture is that? No, we realize that even today, these are issues. And so while the Bible, while this letter is written to the church at Corinth, it has incredible relevance even to us today. This is not a chapter that we would just read through and, and hopefully uh, skip by and think, oh, that doesn't pertain to me. But what we see in Paul is a calling to account, a calling to clarification about how they listen, how they receive, how they live out and apply what God has given them, how they stand firm in their faith and practice. And what he's dealing with is the fact that if certain people, not all the church, but certain people in the church would come about and try to push people away from how he was really heartfelt in trying to show them what faith and practice is going to be. If they were doing that to him, it was quite clear they could be doing it to others. But, but, but Paul doesn't know that, so he's going to address of what's going on with him. And in doing so, he shows us how to make clear and stand firm about our faith and practice, which is our central question today. What does the Scripture make clear about our standing firm and, and being alert and awakened with our faith and practice? Let's see what, how Paul handles this to the church how the church must handle this with themselves, how the church must communicate this with others. Here's the first statement that we need to hear clearly. The church must know how to wage spiritual warfare. Paul begins this talking about meekness and gentleness of Christ, but he quickly goes into warfare talk, speak, language, about battling. Because there's a reality that all People, no matter what, no matter where they are, I think even if we were on a deserted island by ourselves, we would still face conflict. On a deserted island by ourselves, we'd face conflict with ourselves. We'd start talking with ourselves. We'd start arguing with ourselves. Because we have to deal with conflict. It's a part of our human nature to be people that deal with conflict. And then when we deal with 
other kinds of conflict between two or more people, sometimes that conflict is not just circumstances. Sometimes it's accusations. And when accusations come, they must be dealt with with answers. Paul's accusation that's thrown at him is that he's not who he says he is. He may act like he's this holy spiritual person who's done these great things, but when we see him, we're not really impressed. I mean, he's not really that impressive. He's kind of uh, not really physically, uh, what we would say, overpowering or, or charismatic. His, his words and his arguments are not really that stitched together. And, and we don't know if he really cares about us. We just think he's just trying to lord something over us. These are the different accusations that are being made at Paul. And Paul says, I am going to face those with answers. Just as you. Just as you must be prepared for accusations that will come. How will you stand and face those days? This is a theme that's not just found here. It's found throughout the scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the apostle Peter says, Each of us must be ready to give an account, to give an explanation, to give a defense of the hope that, was in, that is in us. And to sanctify the Lord as God. That, that we yield ourselves to Him and we make everything that we do about Him and we do this with a reverence and gentleness and awe, the world's going to be asking questions. The next thing is also to understand what spiritual warfare is and church warfare is. But when it comes to dealing with spiritual warfare, and Paul says this whole argumentation that's going on within the church the backbiting, the, the despising, the different messages. You may think this is just a personal problem. You may think this is just a personality problem. You may think this is just a methodology problem. But really, this is a theological issue. This is a spiritual issue. It touches all of it. So if you're going to have clarity, if we're going to answer the accusations, as Paul does, there's a few things we must do to have that clarity. The first thing is we must be saved. Seems like a pretty big deal. If we're going to handle and wage spiritual warfare in a correct way, the first thing is you've got to be saved. Because if you're not saved, there's no power of Christ in you, with you, for you, through you at all. You may know things about Jesus. You may even practice things around people that know Jesus. But until you personally know Jesus... As Paul says, I am coming to you and appealing to you by the very meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who know Him and know His character, and I am with Him, and He is with me, and He is in me, and I live for Him. I am bringing this to account. So if we're going to handle things with clarity, we first need to know what it means to be saved. I was asked this question of the night, and, and, and it just reminds me how much talk about the gospel and salvation and, and things of church and things of faith and practice and all these things can go around. And yet, even the message of salvation can be so muddied, so unclear. I was having this conversation, and it wasn't a conversation I was having outside of church. It was Wednesday night down the hall. When someone was asking, you know, what's the difference being saved and being baptized. Because in everything they had understood, you know, being baptized was essential and maybe even fulfilled. 
salvation. That if some man took you as a man person or child and baptized you in a manly action into some water that was filled up by man, when you came up out of that water, being baptized by a man, you must be saved with God. You see the fallacy in that? Everything that was happened with just a baptism is all just an act of man between man. Human between human. But I had to share with this person and this family. And they still are wrestling over it. And I, and I would ask you to pray for them. I'm not going to isolate them. But I, I would ask you to pray for a family that, that pastors talk to that is wrestling over what it means to be saved. And by the way, just so I don't seem cruel, it would be very easy for me to say, you need to be saved and just walk on by. But here's what it means to be saved. It means first, a recognition of God's character. This is why we do this almost every week. We use this this acrostic so it'll be etched into your memory. The, The message will not be lost. It'll be clear that salvation begins with the fact that God is holy, that He is creator that He is good, that He is true, that He is righteous, that He is just. And that we like to think of Jesus as a smiling person in the bathrobe that just welcomes everybody. And guess what? He does welcome everyone who comes to Him. But when they come to Him, they must recognize who He is. As the healer, as the righteous one, as the one that's powerful. And God in His character the Bible tells us, has to deal with the offense of sin. And that's a big deal because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So that's pretty relevant to all of us. No matter if you've been in church your whole life or it's your first time in a long time or this is the first time you've ever even thought of possible watching a, a message online or being at church, that every person has to deal with sin. And God has to deal with that. And the Bible says the consequences of sin are death. It's the wages that we earn. But the gift of God, once again, God's character comes into play, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Well, how does he make that possible? Once again, it's in Christ Jesus. That God, being the Holy One that he is, sees the offense of sin, and as a just and holy God, he can't say, well, I'll just not deal with evil. That's not a just God. He deals with it. At the very end of things, whenever our life is, is done, it's either an eternal consequence of heaven and he, or hell, life or death, blessing or curse. But because of Jesus, there's the offer of grace and kindness from God. And that changes everything. In the meekness and gentleness of Christ, He willingly laid Himself down. He took the cross for us. He was our substitute. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse I mean excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 21 that it was he who knew no sin he he became sin for us he he took our sin upon him so that we might have the righteousness of God through him that he would trade what we have for what he had he was the sufficient one and because of that gift and that sufficient gift that fulfilling gift that total gift He offers us life, grace, forgiveness of sin. But it's a personal responsibility for each person to trust or push away what to do with Jesus. The Bible says to all who received Him, to those who called upon His name, 
He gave them the right to become children of God. It's a personal response. It's not dependent on anybody else doing this for you. It's between you and the Lord. And that changes our eternity. The eternity that we were default set on towards hell, because of His grace, He intersects with our life and, and, and it changes everything. But it not only changes our eternity, it changes everything. It changes our life. We must be affected by salvation. If we're going to face and wage spiritual warfare, if we're going to be clear in this world about what it means to follow of Jesus, guess what? we got to be a follower of Jesus. There's no way to make it up any other way. It's going to be a mixed message. The middle man is not going to be connected to the high man. So the message is not going to get to the low man. We must be saved. We must know Jesus. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he says, I'm... I'm because of my relationship with Jesus, I'm asking you to reflect Him. Second, we must be sympathetic. We must be sympathetic. We must have a, a spirit of compassion in us. Paul's saying, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ and, and, and one who is humble among you in person, I am showing sympathy and care for you. I'm not willing to live a life that misses the message by just being an other brute to every single person I come in contact with. I think about that. The gravity of that and, and how the Christian message, I've had conversations with unbelievers that they get hung up. Some even get hung up by the Baptist on our name. And you may say that's not a big deal to me or you, but to someone that's an unbeliever that sees the misuse of the word Baptist and the misuse of the word church in many, many places, and here's people that are ugly and vulgar and cruel and brutish, and all they hear is, they don't hear, the Lord Jesus loves you and gave Himself up for you, and it's just as He did for me, and I will willingly lay down my life in a way to share it with you. But because... You have a world where people are not sympathetic, not willing to live according to the meekness and gentleness and humility that was found in Jesus. All people hear is static or diminished testimony. And Paul says, that's not who I want to be with you. That's, that's why I act this way. I, I am sympathetic to you because I care about you just as Jesus cared for me. I want to know that he, you know that He cares for you. But not only is he sympathetic, there's a whole thing about being sympathetic. And sometimes we think of people being sympathetic and compassionate. We equate that with weakness. We equate that with wimpiness. We equate that with just something really small and unimportant. So not only must we be sympathetic, we must be stalwart. We must have a bravery about us, a confidence in us. Paul says, I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when I am present. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are behaving according to the flesh. In other words, I just want you to know, when it comes time to step up, I'm going to step up. Don't make me have to do this and come across as bold where it needs to be corrected and make no mistake, this is within the church. That sometimes we must be, we must all the time be sympathetic and compassionate. But there are those times where we can't just say, well, you know, 
case the rasa, whatever, whoopee, whoopee, and I'm trying to scare that person. No, in the confidence of Christ, we're going to call out what needs to be called out. Because to do anything less is not to be representative of the gospel. It's to, The gospel doesn't say, well, you know, sin's not that big a deal. No, it says sin is the deal, and God dealt with it. This is the imagery of Christ that needs to be there. Paul says, I will be stalwart. I will be bold with you. And I will challenge certain people. Not because Paul's got some kind of ego trip to go with, but because the message is getting muddied. And when the message gets muddied, the ministry becomes mediocre. It becomes insignificant. And Paul wants to come with clarity. The Lord has given us His Word so that we can communicate Him with clarity. So may we be, first of all, saved. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus today, I pray that today would be that moment where you trust in Him. We must be sympathetic and, and not lose our voice by trying to just be the loudest person in the room with brute force. But we also must be stalwart and not lose our confidence that what God has placed in us and through us and gifted to us and knowing that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world, we can move forward. But we also must do this with skill. We must be skilled in how we handle these day-to-day things. Paul says that for although we live in the flesh, he's, he's not saying that Oh, we just exist on a spiritual plane and all this other stuff in the world, it doesn't really matter. No, he's saying, I get it. I live on the same earth you live on. I'm not some out of the mind in space case, okay? I get it. We live here on this earth for a purpose. But although we live in the flesh, that is not how we will wage war. That is not how we will move forward. That is not how we will accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. We do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of Christ, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So let's stop there. Paul recognizes that if we're going to be people that clearly communicate the message of God, and we know how to wage spiritual warfare because that's going to come against our message, we must be skilled, and skilled not with the weapons of earthly flesh, but in what God alone has graciously provided. That there is a spiritual realm we deal with. I know I say this pretty much every time we talk about spiritual warfare here at the church. I know no one likes to talk about the Ooga Booga Man. And, and, you know, the things of the spirit and the demonic when it comes to coming to a Baptist church, we kind of get a little uneasy about that preacher. This is America. We don't have that kind of battle. Being facetious, of course. But the people in Paul's day recognize this. In fact, one time whenever he's serving at the church at Ephesus where he's writing this letter from, There are people that came to the faith out of all these different occultic, paganistic practices. Witchcraft. Demonic worship. I mean, they were dealing with some seriously dark stuff. And their response to worshiping the Lord and coming to realize His grace was to bring to the 
the, 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 the town center, all of these things to burn them. And I know you're like, oh, we're in America, book burning is bad. When it comes to ridding yourself radically of that which comes against God, demolishing those strongholds, sometimes the very physical activity needs to be prevalent. Now, this is not me saying, you need to go to your local library, check out all the bad books and go burn them. No, I did not say that. But I am saying, when there is something dark that has a stronghold in your life personally, you need to deal with it radically and personally, just as Jesus dealt with it radically on the cross. There's no middle ground in the middle of this. Paul says that because of these weapons that God has given us, this shield of faith, this breastplate of righteousness, this sword of the Spirit, this helmet of salvation, this belt of truth, these sandals readied and fitted with the gospel of peace, because we have the weapons of prayer and of the Word. We do not just attempt to live life lackadaisically. No, we train ourselves to become skilled in the use of these weapons of warfare because these weapons actually can accomplish something. These weapons can demolish strongholds. These weapons are powerful through God. Never take the Bible as something weak. Never take what God has graciously gifted you as something insignificant or wimpy or puny or has lack of authority in your life. Never take what God has called you to do to be insufficient or unable to accomplish the task for which He has called you. Never take your ministry and thinking it will not do what it's called to do. And I want you to know this is something I struggle with personally. I do. I struggle with this personally. Sometimes Sunday afternoon and Mondays are the most terrible, terrifying, bluest days I ever deal with because I wonder, God, am I even useful to you? God, are people even listening? God, do I even have a voice that can bring change? You know what he reminds me? No, you don't. But I have given you, I, through the power of God, have given you what is necessary to bring about what I am calling to bring about. So don't ever question my significance or my sufficiency in your life. And it brings me back to the gospel and it breaks my heart. Because I'm one of those guys, and I shared this morning, that finds myself saying, God, if you could do this, why do I say that? Because sometimes I question the power of God that can actually demolish strongholds, that I can actually face arguments, that can actually win the day. But then He shows me that His grace is sufficient in all of our weaknesses. That where we lack, He comes through and does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And sometimes I sit back and I'm just dumbfounded and I, and I fall on my knees and I'm saying, God, I don't know why you would count me worthy to even witness this, much less play a part. And it's because sometimes our life gets muddied from hearing what God needs to say to us, what we need to live out, and what needs to be demonstrated beyond. God says, I'm giving you these weapons. Handle them with skill, but know that it is my power that works mightily through you and through all who believe.
Lastly, because I'm going to cut this short and we'll continue on next week. If there's going to be clarity, we must be savvy. I have some friends that are uh, really coupon savvy. I'm, I'm always amazed. I, 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 I giggle a little bit at the stories that they share because I'm like, I never want to ever do that in my life. I just don't. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't, I don't want to take the time to do that. But I'm amazed and thankful that they have that savviness to be able to handle and to get the art of the deal, all the things done. It blows me away. They're willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to go through this. I'm not willing to pay that huge price that, that is the regular thing. I'm willing to, willing to hold this to account and say, this is the piece of paper that says I can do this. And I'm like, that's sharp, that's savvy, that's smart. Paul says when it all comes down to this, he says, we are ready to take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're going to be very savvy and mindful of what is necessary. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Once again, Paul's not calling for a brute force to come and beat down everybody that may have messed up and sinned and fallen short. That's not what the grace of God is about. But it is ready to say, I'm not willing to stay or allow someone to stay there. I'm willing to walk alongside them. So they can see what disobedience is. They can see what obedience is. They can see what grace is. They can see what truth is. And they can keep their eyes focused on God and move forward. They can be savvy and understand what this Word has said. They can hold dear and they can place in use in their life. And they can punish the disobedience in their life. That doesn't mean going to some aestheticism where like you try to beat yourself with a whip or something. By the way, we're going to look at later on that this is actually an activity that would go on that Paul is fighting against. But the reality that when it comes to disobedience, it's got to be dealt with radically until our obedience is complete. And I wonder, today in this room, because I want to know what I feel like up here. Do we want our message set right? Do we want His message to really be clear? Do we want it to be clear in our homes? Do we want it to be clear in our workplace? Do we want it to be clear in our neighborhoods? Do we want it to be clear when we're out at our recreational activities? Do we want it to be clear when we're on out traveling, do we want the message of Scripture, the message of Jesus, the Gospel, to be clear? And if we are, are we prepared to face the pushback, the accusations with an answer that is honoring to God? And are we willing to say, God, as someone who is saved, I want to be sympathetic to those that need dealt with both in the church and without. So they can know who you are. I'm willing to be stalwart in confidence. I'm not willing to cower down. I'm willing to answer. I am willing to learn what it means to be skilled with, with your word. And, and I may require training. I, I, I'll tell you up here, I always need more training. And I'm willing to be savvy and think through what my life is looking like, what our church is looking like, the direction we're going, what my home faith is looking like, my, my workplace faith is looking like. And those shouldn't be two different things. 
And I recognize there's a spiritual war that wants to muddy your message. And may it never be said of me as a follower of Christ that I'm just a part of the mix. May it be said that that my message that's from you is coming through loud and clear. And then when it comes to the church, may it be said of all of us so that it's not just one little unit trying to make some noise. It's coming through with a mighty sound of an orchestra. Amplified. So that the world may know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we have spent time in your word, I pray that we would understand the the knowledge of you. I pray that we would understand the incredible provision of grace that you have made that demonstrates your almighty glory and unveils your incredible grace. God, I pray we would understand what it means to not only know you, but to make you known. In this moment of prayer and response, I pray. God, I know you're in here every single week. There's not a time where you ever leave us. But God, I pray that for us as a church, for us as a people, that this response would not be something we merely pass over. Or be indifferent to. That where the the actions need to be taken in our own personal lives as disciples, God, you would deal with them mightily. God, where we need to be as a church, whether it means lifting your name up more or falling to our knees in repentance, wherever it needs to be, God, deal with it mightily. May the message not be lost. Not because of my words, God, but because of yours. May we respond to you with open hearts. Just as you loved us with open arms. In Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to keep your eyes closed, your heads.